Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs. The Wintrust Crosstown Series kicks off May 3rd and 4th at Wrigley Field and concludes with a trip to the South Side May 28th and 29th. As always, Elise Medica here and Tony Andraki, marquee reporter. And this week, Sean Marshall, nine-year Major League vet, six of those with the Cubs. Sean, good to see you. Hello. It's good to Hello. see all you guys. It's good to be back on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. I feel like it's been a while, guys. Yeah, it's it's a good time to talk because <laughs> we're going to kind of talk about April. And Tony, it's always good to see you. I don't want to leave you out of that. Mix. <laughs> good to see you guys too, Sean. Good to have you back. All right, so, thank you. As we recap kind of what happened, we're going to start kind of looking at, and Tony, I, I even want to start by saying you had a great article on marqueesportsnetwork.com. That was the 10 lessons we learned in the month of April. So that's kind of where we're going to start is just when we look back at this past, past month, and I'll, I'll start with you, Tony, because you had that piece written. Um, just what were some of your biggest takeaways that you learned this past month? I think honestly, the biggest one is just Seiya Suzuki. I mean, obviously the Cubs invested a bunch in him over the next five years, just in terms of money, but, you know, obviously they're trying to build a team around this 27 year old. So, you know, to, to have him get off to a hot start was not only important for him, but it was important for the franchise. In my opinion, that was the single biggest development for the Cubs in April of 22 was just seeing how Suzuki translated to the major leagues, how he doesn't for the most part, does not chase out of the zone, how his personality has come through and, you know, how polite he is. Like, at least I know you had in the broadcast, just how he never goes in front of the catcher and walks around it. And just like so many different little things, you know, he's so funny. His translator toy is so great. Like he's, um, he's become somebody that I think fans can root for, but he's also a very, very good player in the field, arguably the, the best hitter, or one of the best hitters in the lineup. So I think to me, that's just the single biggest development is Suzuki turning into a star before our eyes. Sean, I don't know if you've had a chance to meet Saya, but just, you know, and I don't know if that's one of your takeaways, but kind of same question for you. Yeah, I totally agree with what Tony's saying about Saya Suzuki. I just think him coming over, changes the Cubs offense and the approach that Jed Hoyer was trying to take care of for this 2022 season versus the previous seasons in 21 and 20, where the past seasons, the Cubs had trouble with strikeouts, expanding too much with their play discipline. I think the Seiya Suzuki factor as him being a player that stays in the strike zone, doesn't expand, has rubbed off on the entire lineup. I think from his approach, the way he goes about his business off the field the way he puts in the work his mental focus also rubs off on some of these young players and maybe some of the players that aren't so young like a Schwindel or wisdom in age but younger and experienced the veteran expertise that Suzuki brings to this club as a, in the batter's box on defense he's got speed he's got many many tools so I think that as the biggest offseason signing for Jed Hoyer he checked a lot of boxes on what the Cubs were looking for for their offense, uh, offense 2.0, I called it on the show, for 2022, just being able to have better at-bats. And, and like we've seen against Cy Young, Corbin Burns on opening day and in Sunday's contest, the ability to grind out a very, very tough pitcher. And I think a lot of it comes from Seiya Suzuki's approach, for sure. 
Yeah, I remember you two saying that on the show. I think you were saying it now for like a few weeks, basically, because we saw uh, very early on from Saya how consistent he can be at the plate. And like you guys are saying what he can bring and almost then going off of that, because if you want to call it like the Saya effect, uh, not to discredit to what the the work that other guys have put in in the offseason and what they've been working on. But I think then add to that mix half. Um, and the way he's come along, because I also think that while you have some additions like a say a Suzuki, or maybe even if you want to say, um, I don't want to call it a surprise because I think Horner now is just healthy and we're seeing what he can do add in like a Rivas there. We're seeing what he can do from the moment I saw Rivas, you just saw, uh, really like something special with him at the plate. He's very athletic. We've seen in the field, but when you have someone like Hap, you need them to perform how they can, like you need them as David Ross would say, you need them to be who they are. And I think, uh, to start this season, it's really promising to see Hap, not just hitting the way he is, uh, especially from the right side, but even in the outfield playing the defense defense that he is and perhaps some of that too is a little more clarity I mean I know he said uh he attributes some of that uh consistency in his playing and the consistency he's seeing in left but it's almost like another Saya effect because you know you have Saya in right that's why Hap is able to see himself there in left and it's more platoon or whatever you want to say in center so that's kind of where I I see it uh in April when you want to pick out certain players um and how the month of April looks for them and some of our takeaways. Now, kind of going off of that, Sunday's victory, because now we're, I always want to do the Justin Timberlake, it's going to be May, we're in May. <laughs> um, and so uh, technically their last win was in May, uh, but that's now two against Corbin Burns. So Sean, I'll start with you on this one. Just how big yeah. was that win, especially given how the series went? Yeah, well, the series did not go as planned. And like I talked about the Cubs offense, it wasn't there for games one and two. They were pitched extremely tough. Lauer was great on Saturday. He's really emerged in that rotation as another big piece for their for the Brewers starting pitching. But yeah, yesterday's victory was extremely important, uh, especially for the man that was on the mound, Marcus Stroman. And one, one thing you don't do is is a guy pitching on his birthday. I don't know what the numbers are, but it's usually pretty excellent. And a guy in the batter's box on his birthday usually has excellent numbers. So Marcus Stroman took the mound on his birthday yesterday and seven scoreless innings. And I just love the adjustments that he made. Uh, he talks about rhythm and timing and being back in sync in his delivery. He's an uber athlete. He knows how to control his body like no other pitcher in the big leagues. How to manipulate the baseball, the sinker, the splitter. The, the slider, everything was working for him. So the work that he put in in between his last start, which wasn't very good, and he had a, a very tough April for his standards. And to emerge as a guy going toe-to-toe -to -toe with a Cy Young victory guy, Corbin Burns, yesterday was extremely awesome to see. And I think he's going to be shaped into the pitcher. That that was the other big offseason acquisition for Jed Hoyer and David Ross to be the pitcher that they wanted him to be. But, you know, you got the emergence of the guys that come in and close the door as well. David Robertson has been excellent and we'll see, we're seeing health in the Cubs uh, roster as a whole. Like you said, with Nico Horner, it's good to see him healthy and Rowan Wick yesterday. Good to see him healthy. He's a very viable, viable part of that bullpen as well. So a big victory. It's good to get a win on getaway day. You hate getting swept. It makes the plane flights or, or the bus trips extremely tough to bear. And you think about stuff a lot, but getting that win at 2-0 victory in the series finale against a very, very good Brewers team was good to see, and hopefully they can build some confidence on, on everything that went right in the game yesterday. 
Yeah, I, I echo everything you said. I mean, especially the Stroman stuff that was huge. And, um, you know, I asked some of the guys just how how it feels to get a victory, like you said, to leave. And then, you know, it's getaway day, but also like day off today. And then the, the Crosstown series starting on Tuesday. And it's like, that's that's got to be such a good feeling for them after, like you said, Sean, the, the first two games of the series did not go the way the Cubs planned. Um, I think what's it, at least this kind of, the way Sunday I kept thinking about it, it goes back to what we talked about on the podcast last week and how unpredictable baseball is. And it's like the Cubs have nine wins this year. Two of those wins have come against games. Corbin Burns has started and, you know, he only got the loss in one of them on Sunday, but it's like 22% of the Cubs wins through May 1st are against Corbin Burns starts. Like that's not something that I would have thought was going to be happening. Right. Like, you know, they've, their approach against him is good. And, you know, Sean, to your point earlier about say battling against Burns, I mean, that, that double two out double he had and, and, you know, Alfonso Rivas drawing a walk and then Suzuki adding a double and it's like, and Patrick wisdom with the Homer, I think like timing, timely hitting was there. The bullpen pitched well, Stroman was there. Like it was just a very feel good win in a lot of regards for the Cubs and certainly that the kind of momentum that they hope to start as they carry into a new month here. And I even took this from your article, Tony. Uh, so seven of their 13 losses by one or just two runs. So giving you an idea of how they're in a lot of these ball games. Um, and at times just a play or a hit away. And we saw, we've seen that even just over the last couple of weeks uh, coming down to the final batter. So yeah, and I, I think too, um, Sunday was a good example. This isn't like a, it's some enlightening thing that you've never heard before, but it, we've seen it with this team last year and this year that you're going to go as your starting pitching goes. And so Sunday was a perfect example of that with Marcus Stroman and being able uh, with Burns, this was not an off day for him. In fact, he was phenomenal. What was it like perfect through three or something like that? And so until wisdom broke it up. Um, so it wasn't like it was a Burns off day. It was Stroman was able to keep his team in the game enough. So where all you needed was those one, two hits, score the runs, and then the bullpen continuing to do what they do. So I think we've seen when, when the starters can not just give length, but give the production and quality that we know they they have in them and do that consistently. I think that will be key for this team. And it's exciting to watch when we see the contact bats in the lineup, partner that with when you can get some really solid pitching. And, and that's what can be, I think, really fun and exciting about this team to watch. Um, and Sean, uh, kind of specifically for you, because when we talk about Stroman, he has said after his start, that he does not feel he is in this like behind mode. I'm not describing that in the best way, but because spring training was in essence shortened, he doesn't though feel that that's affecting him. Now, Gomes said that when you look at this, this would be, you know, we're still even just in the first couple of starts if everything was normal. So given your history and pitching and ramping up and how all of that works, how much does something like that affect a pitcher and what are you seeing, say, from a guy like Stroman, um, given the situation as we're now starting to get into starts where it would be um, normal, so to speak, no matter what time of year we're talking? Yeah. Sure. From a, from a personal standpoint, the full spring training for me as a starter or a reliever was extremely important. And it's all about timing for me. If I knew my delivery was back in sync and my timing was right, my foot was hitting and my ball was coming out nice in Arizona weather with the dry balls and the break balls that don't break as much. That was important to get that full six weeks of work to get your timing down. So we saw him in his post game after his struggles. He talked about rhythm, 
getting back in sync, getting his timing back. And we saw that in yesterday's game. But so, yeah, he may not want to make excuses. And that's probably what he doesn't want to do and saying that spring training wasn't long enough. That's not what a big leaguer does, a veteran big leaguer like Marcus Stroman is or any other big leaguer, Hendricks or or anybody to make excuses. This is why I didn't have it pitched well. So for Marcus uh, to be back on track and, and this is probably would be his second or third start of the regular season if if he had a full uh, spring training, the full five starts or whatever a starter would get and get fully stretched out and back in sync and in timing. Would have been important for him, but I think he's starting to gel. I think he's starting to get his legs underneath him. He's got that athletic frame. There's a lot that has to go right, but he is so athletic that he can make subtle adjustments at the end of his delivery just to be, but his last start, he was close. And I talked about it post game. He was very close to being back to the pitcher that we've seen on the other side, compete and be one of the best in the game. So good to see him come back around and be back in sync. But yeah, I think a normalcy is very important. And, and Marcus Stroman, along like another a big group of other players did not participate in 2020 too. So right. maybe yeah. there's a factor in getting back into that, that routine, you know, baseball players are very routine and to have no spring training in 2020. And I'm not sure what he did exactly in 2020, but, but not have a full spring training in 2022, maybe it had a little bit of effect, but he looks locked in and hopefully the other players will feel like they got their full spring training in for the first couple of weeks of April now and they'll be back in, in mid-season form, we'll call it, for a new chapter and starting in May right now after a, a tough, pretty tough April. Sean, you mentioned that, you know, you always liked having the six, the full six-week spring training. Was there a certain number of appearances or game outings that you liked to get to yourself where you felt like, hey, you know, I'm, now I'm locked in? Or was it more of a result of like, hey, my mechanics feel good. It doesn't matter whether I got seven outings or five or whatever. Was it, was it feel yeah. or a certain number you like to hit? A little bit of both. Yeah, feel, but I always like to get around like 10 outings as a reliever to come in and then get your back-to-back -back outing late in spring and feel your arm kind of bounce back from that. That That's when I would always feel ready to go for the season. So, yeah, I mean, it was about, about rhythm and timing was my most important thing. And I think if you were to do a poll question on what's important for to, to leave spring training next year, is it good to be on time or have your rhythm in your deliveries pitcher? And I think every pitcher will say, check mark I think we heard Arietta say it a couple of years ago too so but it's very important so yeah I needed I needed probably 10 appearances in spring or so to really feel comfortable and some success also helps in the to build that into the season but really it's about feel having command of all your pitches I needed my breaking ball was my best weapon I needed the feel for that at the end of spring because going into the season different climates, cold temperatures, maybe some rain in April. I needed the feel for the breaking ball because that was my primary weapon, especially as a reliever. So yeah, I think rhythm and timing, Tony, that's very important as you dance out of spring training. <laughs> and I think weather too, like you were saying, there can be some rain. There were some cold days too in oh, the brutal. first few weeks of the season. And I did just look Stroman and I even looked at Hendricks too, because I know that we've seen, you know, we know who Hendricks can be. And as he tries to find that consistency, both Stroman and Hendricks, uh, typically probably slower starts. And I, I don't know if in part, um, even just from the weather, we're talking about the climate that they've played in over the years. But uh, I also hear you and, you know, no one wants to make excuses and, and say, you know, they just, at the end of the day, and you can, you know, I feel like you would agree, Marshall, is, is uh, you just want to perform. So no matter what may be happening, you know, like you are judged basically on the results. And so you've just got to figure out a process to get those results, no matter what, the situation is no doubt 
No doubt about that, at least for sure. And someone who's getting the results, Sean, is Keegan, Mar- uh, Keegan Marshall, Keegan Thompson. <laughs> um, I'm asking Marshall, but Keegan Thompson has uh, been lights out basically. And uh, I know that we were excited to have you on the pod to talk about him specifically just because of the way that he's been pitching. So what is it that you're seeing about him, especially in this role that you can speak to as well as someone who has started and relieved, and he's now coming yeah. out of the bullpen, but giving you the length uh, and potentially someone, cause we saw him start last year, potentially someone you, if needed, you could see slot into the rotation at some point. Yeah. And the confidence factor that he's got this year, it will be huge if he has slotted in to start some games, but just everything about Keegan Thompson, I'm, I'm talking about mound presence. I'm talking about confidence out there. I'm talking about the stuff with an exclamation point. Everything <laughs> is excellent. He's able to, to finish the four seamer, get it by some of the best hitters in the league. He's been put in high leverage moments to bridge the gap to the closing guys. Uh, the moment doesn't seem too big for Keegan. And as a young pitcher, that's so important. So whether he stays as this bridge guy, this very, you know, very important part of the pitching staff, if you're not getting depth from your starting pitchers, like we didn't see a whole lot in April, to bridge the gap to the late inning guys, he's been huge. But the cutter, to throw a backdoor cutter to a left-handed batter as a righty, is a very, very tough pitch and he's mastered it. So he has command of the outside part of the plate to the lefties. He can drop the breaking ball, which starts right in the plane of the strike zone where the hitters have to pull the trigger and the bottom drops off it. He can finish the four seamer through the zone and up and just getting over bats with that pitch as well. So, but when he comes out of the gates, when you've had a lot of success, you bring it on the mound and he's had an enormous amount of success here. He's been the talk of that Cubs bullpen down there as, as a guy that can be heavily leaned on in big, big moments. So when you've had that kind of success and leverage moments like David Ross has put him in so far and been good at it, he's probably going to excel in whatever he does. So if it's a short inning, uh, one inning, three innings, he gets the ball to start the games. You're going to see a, a new pitcher and Keegan Thompson because of the success and the confidence that he's got pitching with conviction knowing that he's good knowing that he belongs on the mound is the the toughest thing to to do in major league baseball and he looks like he belongs in every single situation and it's awesome to cover him it's awesome to see him thrive out there yeah no doubt and he's talked about that how last year the call helped with his confidence and taking that into the offseason and so to kind of reiterate our points he didn't allow a run until his final appearance of april right now he's got a 0.54 era uh 16 and two-thirds innings pitch just has given up nine hits and five walks his longest outing four innings uh against the pirates and that was a situation too where i think forget who started but you were in a situation where i don't remember if it was steel but you just needed, you know, Thompson, I think Robertson came in or who, you know, you barely didn't need to use your bullpen really in a situation like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been fun to watch. I kind of just want to ask a quick follow-up to that. When you talk about the confidence, how, like, what's the challenge or what do you have to make sure you focus on? So, cause you can kind of teeter that, like, uh, you don't want to get too confident, but you don't want to lose the confidence. How do you kind of have that balance of like that idea of I belong here but not um, kind of like maintaining that focus, basically. Yeah. Well, it's tough to struggle 
It really is. And you can really get into your head because this game is it's tough from a mental standpoint. It's very tough physically to, to be able to pitch and, and have some success like Keegan's done. But yeah, it just the day to day, just knowing that the confidence is there. And when you run out, out of the bullpen and knowing that you can get anybody out if you do things right is is big, big thing. And so, you know, no matter if it's Whoever, Albert Pujols, Barry Bonds, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, the best hitters that we've ever seen. If you make quality pitches, you're most likely going to get almost everybody out most, most of the time. So he's realized that if he makes pitches, and Kyle Henry says it, if I make my pitches, I'm good. If I don't make my pitches, I struggle. And it, it's, it's the same theme for every pitcher on the mound. If you're missing pitches and you're falling behind or you're missing the middle of the strike zone, you get in trouble and you get in trouble in a hurry in the big leagues. He has some stuff to get away with some misses. Keegan does, but a guy like Kyle, he can't really get away with some of those misses as often as he used to be able to with a few more ticks of velocity. So it's the biggest thing about pitching. It's being confident. It's making pitches. And Larry Rothschild, one of my first pitching coaches with the Cubs, says pitch with conviction. And that just means trust your stuff with your mind and in your heart. And if you do those things right and you make your pitch with conviction, those guys are going to be out. And we've seen it from Keegan Thompson and a lot of other guys in that Cubs bullpen and starting rotation so far. I love that. And someone who is showing that he's doing that is David Robertson, uh, a veteran guys, his 14th season in the bigs, but this is someone who uh, is, He's kind of a, he's, he's the closer now, right? He's kind of making things uh, more clear out of the bullpen uh, and rightfully so he hasn't given up a run. He's given up one hit. That was in his first outing April 7th. So hasn't given up a hit since then and uh, pitched a total of 10 innings. So um, Tony, I'll start with you and just uh, you know, what the, how fun it is to see him there and carve out that spot uh, after, you know, say uh last year seeing Kimbrel and then seeing other other arms out of it and now getting a chance with bringing in Robertson and what he can do yeah so I gotta be honest at least I, I did not see this coming right like not <laughs> no knock on Robertson at all um he's obviously done this before he's been a very effective closer and high leverage reliever but this is a guy who missed a year and a half for Tommy John surgery pitched just a month last year with the Rays and then a little bit in the playoffs and he came to spring training and we already talked about the shortened spring training how difficult that is Sean you talked about having wanting 10 appearances as a reliever Robertson got like two or three in games he threw you know a couple live VPs he had a baby during the middle right. of spring yeah. training. he's 37 years old again you know Tommy John even later in his career I didn't see this coming I, I didn't think he was going to be this kind of factor right off the bat um, I think back to that live VP that he had against uh he faced like Michael Hermosillo I think Jonathan VR as well but you know Hermosillo ended up hitting a homer off him and Robertson was kind of like laughing like oh I can't believe you hit that and you know and it, it wasn't like in a bad way like he's like doesn't care to be there but it was just more of like this dude was really casual he like understood where he needed to be and this air of confidence and at the time I, I just I didn't know what to make of it but now I see it I think for confidence for a veteran who's been here before, who has done this, who knows what he needs to do to be right. And he did, he preached to, to David Ross all spring and Tommy Hadovy that he was going to be ready. He's ready. I mean, he has been ready, like some of the numbers and, and we have him on marqueesportsnetwork.com, just like this great graphic we had in the pregame show the other day, he's 99th percentile on fastball spin, yeah. you know, expected batting average, slugging, strikeout rate, whiff rate. Like he's way up there. He's one of the top pitchers 
not just relievers, pitchers in all of baseball so far a month into the season. So, yeah, I mean, he's really just been incredible. And I, I think probably the most or one of the most underrated signings in all of baseball so far this year. Sean, what about you and what you've yeah. seen from him, especially like Tony hit on, uh, even just off the field, um, Tommy John having a baby, he negotiates his own contracts so and negotiating that with Jed Hoyer, yeah. uh, everything, wow. you name it. it. It's extremely impressive. It really is for a guy that's 37 years old, coming off injury, pitching in very few games over the past couple of seasons. He missed all of 2020, I believe, but, but you're talking about a pitcher that's been there. He's done that. He's pitched in big cities. He pitched in New York uh, for the Yankees for a while, following in Mariano Rivera's footsteps. Um, and the most impressive thing that I think goes on in the clubhouse, and I haven't been in, in the bullpen or in the clubhouse talking to him or some of these young relievers in there, but like the effect that he probably has as a veteran guy on Ethan Roberts or Scott Efros or somebody right there probably is equally as effective as he's been on the mound. So he's still got stuff and he's one of the baseball good guys. I've known him for a while and just a great guy to be around a personal, personal guy, a family guy with the baby in spring that took away some of the appearances that he got. And for him to continue to come out and just be great after everything that he went through uh, with injury and the shortened spring and a new baby and just fitting right into a new ball club in another big market is awesome to see. But as far as this, the pitching stuff is involved, he's a smart guy. So as a veteran reliever, you know, you need to, to minimize your pitch counts at times during outings to be available the next day. So he has stuff to get out of innings quick. He's got this, he'll pitch to contact. He'll get quick outs. He has the ability to punch out guys when he needs them. Like you said, with a spin on the fastball, the carry through the zone, wipeout breaking ball, excellent cutter. He's got many weapons to put different hitters away in different circumstances. So if he needs to shorten his pitch count up and adding, he pitches a contact. If he needs the big punch out in the moment, he could punch you out with a curveball, the breaking ball, or the cutter or whatever. But he's just been there. He's done that. A veteran influence. Uh, one of the baseball good guys. This is a feel-good story, no doubt, like you said, Tony. And with a guy that has a, a career ERA under three at 289, a winning record 54 and 33, he knows what he's doing. Uh, veteran guy, mentorship, still has quality stuff. He's not anywhere near done with his career, I bet, in my opinion. So he looks good down there, and he's filling a big role that Davey Ross needed him to fill as that closer right there. Because going into spring, a lot of question marks. Who's going to be closing these games? Is it Ron Wick? Is it Efros? Is it Givens? Is it, is it Roberts here in the future? Maybe, but Robertson has been the guy and he's took the ball and he's not going to look back. And the many influences he can have in the bullpen as a veteran guy uh, is probably very, very important for Dave Ross as well. Yeah, and one thing, points. go ahead, Tony. Sorry, Lisa. Uh, one thing I wanted to give a shout out to Brian, uh, David Robertson's neighbor back East, uh, because when he was home, <laughs> for his, for the baby during spring training, he said he threw to Brian to stay fresh and his neighbor, you know, like he, he wanted to just like not get in front of the ball, but he gave Brian a lot of credit. He was able to keep, you know, keep throwing in the five, six days that he was back home. So in spring training, he made sure to shout out Brian by name. So I feel like Brian's kind of this under the radar guy that helped Robertson get to where he was and have this hot start this season. I love it. Neighbor Brian who's yeah. catching for Robertson and kudos to him to be able to do that. Like you said, and, and be back there for those pitches. Uh, yeah. And Sean to, to kind of 
piggyback off of everything you were talking about uh 37 years old especially in the game now where you start to the assumption is that value is, is going down a little quicker these days but not true with robertson and when it comes to age like in the value and how we view um kind of age these days but he he looks great and you wonder earlier we were talking about stroman and between 2020 opting out and then the shortened spring training this year um how that could affect him now but you feel like with the experience Robertson has, and given that he was coming off of Tommy John, uh, that actually it almost works in his favor. And it's not like a drawback, the shortened spring training or having to leave for, for paternity leave or whatever it may be, that he's kind of uh, using that to his advantage as he's still probably, um, I'm sure, obviously healthy from Tommy John. But you know that after a surgery like that, um, being very smart about your pitches and approaching your innings and all of that. So he's been a lot of fun to, to watch. And so too is the Crosstown Classic. Uh, always fun games to watch. So a couple coming up at Wrigley. Sean, I have to start with you on this one because you probably have a lot of memories. Um, so if you have a favorite moment, whatever it may be, first thing you think of when you think Cubs, White Sox. I mean, it's fun. It is. <laughs> it, it's like a playoff atmosphere. And yeah, the, the Cubs fans bring it. The White Sox fans, they bring it. So it makes it fun for the on-field players to participate in the Crosstown Classic, Crosstown Series. It, it's, it makes it a fun energy. But so I'm going to flash back like 2006. And I think Tony probably knows where I'm going with this one. I was a rookie and I hadn't pitched in the series yet. But there was a little tussle we had. Matt Merton threw a ball in from left field. A.J. Przinski <laughs> crushed Michael Barrett. And... The benches went at each other. So we're all in the pile. And I'm like, what am I doing? And I'm a young rookie. I'm tall. I'm skinny as heck. And I'm in the middle. I'm like grabbing a hold of people. I'm grabbing Rock Reigns, Tim Reigns. I'm like, oh, this guy's built like a truck. I was like, all right, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So, but yeah, I was kind of baptized into the Crosstown Classic in 06. And then down the south side, the ACDC, like before the game, just I couldn't believe the atmosphere, the Cubs jerseys, the White Sox jerseys down there. And and the, the fans bring it. They make it so incredibly fun to participate in. It's a playoff type feel. You know, it's funny in Chicago that the sports fans, <laughs> you got you're either a Cubs fan or you're a White Sox fan. There's really right. no <laughs> right. baseball fan in baseball that's like, I like both teams, you know, they just doesn't do it. So it makes it fun. For the players to participate in it's a different vibe it's different energy than a normal regular season game of course but yeah i was baptized by fire there in 06 with with the heat of rivalry Przinsky, michael barrett uh, that'll go down in in infamy in chicago so yeah it was, it's always very very fun and the players love to play in, in series like this for sure yeah, Sean, I'm actually going to go a couple years later. Uh, so you were on this team. I definitely I know that you remember this moment, but June 20th, 2008, Cubs White Sox at Wrigley Field. Derek Lee and Aramis Ramirez go back to back in the seventh inning, and then Aramis walks it off in the ninth inning a couple innings later. Yeah. That to me, that always stands out. I was at that game. I went to that game with my mom and sisters and, um, you know, grew up in a, a diehard Cubs fan family. And you know, that was, that was a cool moment. It was my little sister never really liked going to games that much. Um, but that was one of the few that I remember that she went to and she had a great time and it was a fun game overall, but just to be there, I mean, it was one of the few walk-offs I ever saw as a fan. I think it might've actually been the first one that I saw, but it was just like impactful. It was really cool. I mean, I, again, to, to have, you know, to come back and, and tie the game and, uh, with back-to-back -back homers and Aramis to walk it off. Like, it stands out to me. And I was looking up, too, before this podcast, 
I didn't realize the Cubs swept the Sox in that series and Aramis had a homer in every game in that series. So it was like, that was such an awesome couple game stretch there. So I, I, Sean, I don't know. Do you have any memories specifically like about that? What it was like seeing Rami hit that homer? He, he's a big, he was a big moment player. I mean, if you wanted anybody up in the lineup during a big moment, during those times, if Aramis Ramirez's number was coming up to the plate, he was going to get the job done. So, yeah, he was a big moment type player. So the White Sox Cubs series, like I just said, is big moments in Chicago. And that's how you kind of instill your name in, in Chicago sports infamy a little bit. So Ramos did that. He was a big moment player. But, yeah, just going back to times like that, walk-off victories, especially in a big capacity crowd like that, it, at Wrigley Field, it doesn't get louder. The place, like, literally shakes. It's like some of those postseason games in 15 and 16. I've never – felt the stadium shake before but it's crosstown classic series like that moment you remember tony i remember that and the place was loud and it was proud it was fun to be a part of but yeah rammy he could he could swing it and so and i, I mentioned larry rothschild before and it was his pick for a guy if you needed a hit in a big moment larry would also say put, put rammy in you know pinch it rammy get him up you know stuff like that so big moment big moment player around mr Ramirez was for sure but that environment at wrigley is fun in moments like that. Yeah, I think that for me, it's just the crowd, the environment, like you're saying, that is like Cubs, White Sox. And those have to be two of the most memorable, not just like in uh, the series, but just like in Cubs, you know, history, not just the Cubs, White Sox history. But anytime you're going to see video of Cubs, White Sox, you're going to see the whole AJ Brzezinski and uh, Aramis, always one of my favorite players to watch growing up and I'm I totally Sean just a big uh, moment kind of guy loved his swing so he's aggressive uh, and Derek Lee of course you know a cub favorite for many so um, yeah I think those have to be a couple of the big ones that definitely stand out to most people who uh, whether you grew up watching or you learn about it those are going to be some of the highlights that you throw in there uh, so do up on the Cubs weekly podcast we have do up I'll explain but after the break we'll hear from Patrick Wisdom as he gave Marquee Sports Network detailed insight into his mindset and approach from the dugout to on deck to the batter's box he talked to our Tony and Drackey about it we'll have more coming up next in the Cubs weekly podcast at Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC. So as you're going through this, what are you kind of thinking about? Are you, you know, are you chatting with any of the coaches right there? You know, if James Washington and Greg Brown is around there, are you getting like a, you know, a quick chat with them before your first at-bat of the game? And maybe how does that differ between your first at-bat and say your second or third at-bat? Yeah, so we're con constantly communicating. Um, I'm talking with Brownie and Wash and even Rossi and even some of the players um, just to see like what this guy's doing in this inning. Um, how he's been beat and uh, you know if he can't find a certain pitch and so we can eliminate that um, but then I'm just thinking about you know fine-tuning my approach and what I'm looking for when I go up to the plate. Sounds good. All right let's grab your bat and head to the on deck circle. I'll grab the bat. So as you're coming out and you're getting ready to go on deck here you're at Wrigley Field. Fans are right on top of you. They're very close here. Throw a weight on the bat and what's kind of your sequence and, and thought and routine as you're in the on deck circle? Yeah, I'll throw a weight on there more so just to kind of get loose. Um, you know, a couple of shoulder swings with the bat. If I need uh, some more pine tar, I'll, I'll, you know, lather it up and make sure it's sticky. 
from there, it's just more so watching the pitcher. Um, it's just getting getting my timing down. You know, when do I need to start? Um, how quick is he moving on the mound and stuff like that? Is there anything you found in your career that you're like, hey, I'm going to go back to this and, and know that I'm about to step in the box against whoever it is, a closer, the starting pitcher, the former Cy Young winner, whatever it is, and be like, I'm about to go get locked in and, and handle this situation. Yeah, for me, some of the cues are just like, um, stay slow, like slow with the head, you know, uh, my thoughts, um, and slow with my moves. Um, so that way I can generate enough power and take a consistent swing and uh, not overswing. So I tend to do that sometimes. And um, I think it's just like, Another thought I have is staying short to the ball um, and move to see it. You can check out more with wisdom on marqueesportsnetwork.com and catch the extended interview on Watch Marquee on our YouTube page. So always uh, good stuff, Tony. I know this is something that you did a couple years ago, pre pandemic and now uh, able to bring it back really because access we have access to players so that's been a big deal this season we're very thankful for that so first just kind of want to go to you Tony and get a sense of your takeaways from what you picked up on from wisdom he had a lot of cool keys that he he let us in on yeah definitely at least I think it's it was something that we wanted to do more of and, and we talked with Jason Hayward and David Bodie in uh, spring training of 2020 and something, you know, a feature that we'll hope to continue forward at Wrigley Field with other players. But what I love about it and, and you know, Sean, you can attest this too, is just we talk so much about like, I think, physical tools and physical adjustments with players. And we don't spend a lot of time getting inside their heads, what they're thinking, how they get, go about things. And, you know, I remember from the Hayward one, a couple of things that I loved that he said was, you know, like how he prepares for an at-bat in April in the cold games versus like, may or june or whatever and you know saying hey to fans because at wrigley field like in the on deck circle the fans are right on top of you and some of the things that that wisdom said that i thought were cool were just like visualization and he's he's so willing to talk about the mental component of the game so much so i really appreciate that from him and even before this this segment that we were able to do with him but you know just to to go up to the plate and, and tap the center of it instead of the outer corner because he that's where he wants the pitch to be trying to trying to like will it into action and you know some of these pitches that he's hit for homers this year especially have been kind of right down the middle the one he had in atlanta was exactly where he goes up and taps the plate every time he goes up so I just think it's really cool to like get inside players heads and you know being a baseball fan myself I like when they can kind of like peel back the curtain and let let, let you know what you're thinking in different situations or in the on deck circle like do you have a plan do you want to go up with the weight on the bat do you want to just see the pitcher and how his delivery like all those different things so I always think it's really cool and fascinating and you know Sean I'm curious from your perspective like did you have a specific mental plan and routine? Like what was kind of going through your head for a start or a relief appearance? Like, you know, give us maybe a little bit of like now warming, like Sean Marshall's coming in the game. Like what did you always make sure the mental cues that you had? Well, Tony, you do a great job covering those, uh, those plate Thanks. appearances for these guys. They're, it's awesome. It's very interesting. Even from a baseball player standpoint, a pitcher standpoint to see what these hitters are thinking about and how they're preparing for their at-bats. Those are tremendous that's tremendous work, Tony. I love those pieces that you do and look forward to more of them. But maybe that is a segment you can work on, like warming up. You know, you yeah. can talk to the pitchers. What do you do to get ready? You know, what what are you thinking about before you come out of the gates to the to the field? And as you run through the outfield and you see the crowd, it's just it's no moment like it. But you have to be ready mentally like you're talking about. So some of the mental pre preparation stuff that I would do was off the field. I'd see who my upcoming opponent was after the series would conclude with the previous one, 
I'd go through the lineup. I do a video uh, review on almost all the hitters. And, and we're so blessed at the big league level to be able to search criteria, you know, lefties versus these guys. And then you can kind of pick which lefties you think you, you mimic. Like maybe this guy's got a good breaking ball. Maybe he's, he throws 92 miles an hour or something like that. The guys are comparable to me. So I would have a note card and I'd have a note card before note cards were even cool in my hat or in my jacket or whatever of how I'm going to approach every hitter in the lineup. Like, you know, if I'm behind the count, maybe I'm going to the back door slider or a change up or a sinker or whatever. I'd have it all right here because when you get on the mound, you can tend to panic or forget what you have research and you know works because you've seen statistics or video that are evident that this guy can't hit a curveball if it's executed down in the way. This guy can't hit a fastball if it's got finish at his hands up and into a righty. So that mental part for me, the preparation part, whether it be on the flights, I would download these hitters, these pitchers versus hitters at bats on my computer, and I watch them during a flight, and I'd take notes on my note card. And I may not take the note card in my pocket into the field, but I'd be looking at it during the entire game, glancing down, looking at where I'm in the lineup, looking at the guys that are on the bench that are probably the matchup guys for the manager to be prepared for those guys as well. I also had great bullpen coaches in Cincy, but an excellent bullpen coach in Chicago, Lester Strode. He was always in our ear as we warmed up with reminders of the notes that I wrote down or other relevant information that would be pertaining to me. You know, remember that this righty bat's probably going to sub in for this one just to, to have those conscious keys before you go into the big moment. So the mental preparation, gigantic, in my opinion. And really, I learned that skill set preparing early by watching Greg Maddox prepare in the video room. The video room is right off of the dugout. And he would spend an hour or two, you know, during the week before it starts doing the same thing. And so... I was able to pick his brain. What are you looking for? Stuff like that. So I have to, I have to contribute about where that kind of came from that, that preparation process for me. And it was from Greg Maddox for sure, without a doubt, watching him be able to search criteria, righties versus this changeups, whatever he would feature. And then being able to just sort of like curveballs, lefty curveballs, this, that, and then picking those pitchers and knowing how to prepare. So the mental part visualization and visualization for me was as huge as well as his passive wisdom. You know, if you could visualize the pitch going to the spot and then visualize a good result coming, that's half the battle. So the visualization is also equally as important as the mental preparation off the field. So, yeah, huge stuff. Uh, those are fun to watch, Tony. Keep it up. But that's that's my side of the story and how I felt ready when I entered the ballgame. Yeah, thanks. I, we're definitely looking forward to hopefully getting inside like the pitcher's mindset and stuff too. And I'd be remiss without giving Scott Shagnon credit here and his due. He shoots these as a one-man crew. So it was kind of funny for the wisdom one. He had a stationary camera set up and then he was shooting as, you know, I was taking Patrick through and we would stop at different segments and, and Scott would move the camera around. So it's pretty incredible to watch uh, Scotty work and then takes it and edits himself. So uh, definitely needed to give Scotty some credit and his love here. I was going to say it was very well edited. There's a lot of good yes. music. It changed like according to what you guys were talking about when he got into the box, when he was ready to hit. Um, yeah, it is fun to see Tony. And like Sean is saying that we get kind of a glimpse in the mind. Uh, Cause for me, I've, I've always thought that 
it's really almost all mental this game you can have the skill you can have the talent but if the mental game is off then your whole game could be off so just to even go off of like a couple more points that I picked up on from your piece um, I like what he said that a guy especially with the high velo today he reminds himself that he may be pitching 100 I don't have to swing like 100 miles or 150 miles per hour he's like I just have to you know be who I am because they'll provide the power Um, and the emotional part so I was someone I don't know about you Sean like where you liked your emotions and if it differed when you were a starter versus reliever but for me I always had to be like really even keeled if I got too high then I would kind of get too antsy but if I got too low then I didn't have like the energy I was kind of falling flat so I always try to, when you say even keel, that was me on the field. Wisdom actually rides the wave. So if he's amped up, he, he uses that. If he's calm, he doesn't try to get amped up. So what was it like for you on that front? Yeah, I think it's very important, like you said, at least, to be even keeled, to be level-headed. Like a Kyle Hendricks, he's not going to show sure. any emotion. But if he makes the big pitch with the crowd on his feet and he gets to walk off the mound making that third out, you're going to see some emotion from him and from everybody. So, yeah, you can celebrate as much as you want after the job is done. But the moment you start to speed up, and you see it a lot with young kids that come up, the moment gets too fast, they need to step off and slow the game down a little bit, that's when you get in trouble. So being as a pitcher, my most success was being level-headed. You know what I mean? Just being even-keeled. You get too amped up, you rush through your delivery, you make a mistake, and then you hang your head because you didn't get the job done or your team loses the game. So very important to stay level-headed. And like I said with Keegan Thompson earlier, he's as level-headed as they get right now. He's not showing much emotion because he's out there for a purpose. He's even keeled and he's ready to go. Yeah, and perfect uh, example too is Stroman. Like you said, celebrating after the moment. You'll see him get fired up, like do things on the mound after. Uh, But I would think, especially on the pitching side, I think, yes, when you're in the batter's box, but you've got to, you know, last out there on the mound no matter what happens. And so kind of maintaining that is key. So this was fun. It was great to have you on, Sean. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully we can have you back, but that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or or Apple Podcasts and check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. For Tony Andracki and Sean Marshall, I'm Elise Menneker. As always, thank you so much for watching.